Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Stephen Gold, the CMO at Spark Cognition. And this was a fantastic and super relevant conversation all around the role of AI in marketing. Not just the role of AI in marketing, but Stephen's background actually being at IBM back seven years ago when Watson was brought. And he tells stories of how they leveraged and made AI relevant by putting Watson up on Jeopardy as an example. Now we fast forward to today and his role at Spark Cognition and the opportunity to lead with AI, but more so lead with stories. Make sure that their buyers understand at the top of the funnel why a company like Spark Cognition can solve for them. And that's very much about realizing that, as he says, no one is going to put up their hand and say, sell me AI. They're going to say, I have these challenges. I have these problems. Or they're going to lean into stories that they can relate to. I think that's the big takeaway in marketing today. We need to be relatable to our buyer. This episode, this chat with Stephen will give you just that. Here's our conversation. Stephen, welcome. I am thrilled that you're here, and I'm really excited to talk about Spark Cognition and the opportunity you have there. You guys had an amazing year last year, despite the economy. But first, let's talk about how you found your way into the CMO role, because I look at you as someone who could easily be a CEO, CMO, and your resume shows that. What is it about CMO that you love? You know, I'm I'm passionate about marketing, and I, I think through my career and my journey, what I realized is that, you know, more than a vocation, it was an advocation that, you know, I, I really, um, you know, get get deeply entrenched in how marketing can shape the way people think about your product or your business, how it influences their buying habits, uh, their purchasing decisions, and really just the, the sheer power behind uh, marketing. And obviously, I've done this through time when digital has had an extraordinary rise. And so the fundamentals of marketing, the Kotler era, if you will, has been transformed. And so it's been exciting to be on this journey. That's great. So I already alluded to the fact that you've been a CEO, you've been a GM, and I'm not talking small companies. These are companies like Honeywell uh, and other amazing brands like IBM, where you were part of the founding team of what we all know is Watson still today in a day where now AI has a whole new set of meaning. But what did that do in terms of setting you up to be a CMO, that perspective to the company as a whole? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's interesting, Randy. You, you start out in college thinking about what do you want to be when you grow up? And marketing was probably the furthest thing from my mind. I, I was an engineer, I was a mechanical engineer uh, by, by training. And I realized coming out of school that I really knew very little bit about the the, the world of business. And I, so I went back and I got a business degree and it, it, it taught me the importance of balance, understanding and appreciating how sales and marketing are codependencies, uh, how they rely on product and engineering, um, the role of finance and accounting. And so early, uh, I'll say in my career, uh, I, I got a good understanding 
and a level set of, of the importance of, of the discipline across the various functions of business. But through that as well, as, as we mentioned, uh, I found my love and, and that was really, really marketing. But I think to be an effective marketer, you, you have to be able to kind of walk a mile in another person's shoes. So if you're a marketer and never carried a quota, that that's probably going to be a, a challenge and inhibitor uh, to success because you can't really appreciate what it's like to be out there in front of the customer, pitching the product, using the collateral, pushing the content, if you've never actually done that. So you've produced it, but you've never actually experienced live the feedback. You know, for me, you know, that, that ping pong effect between being a general manager or CEO, uh, being a CMO, I find that there's a tremendous amount of synergies to be associated with the various responsibilities. Uh, and it's just how you use those skills in that respective role. So what is that translated today at Spark Cognition for the relationship you have with your CEO and perhaps even other members of the senior leadership team there? How have you taken, I don't want to call it a step back, but more of a step into being a partner as opposed to trying to create these partnerships? You know, it it starts with a perspective of what their role is, right? The CEO sets the tone, sets the vision, uh, establishes a mission of the organization. In the case of Spark Cognition, you know, I'm fortunate to work for an exceptional leader uh, that truly is immersed in uh, the technology that we sell and the power behind it. And so, you know, as a, a CMO, uh, a lot of my direction, at least strategically, is set from the office of the CEO. But beyond that is really my working relationship day to day with sales and how do I support uh, and ensure that they're able to achieve their quotas, their objectives, uh, work very closely with our service people. Uh, on how to delight the customer, what's the experience, what's the feedback. It generates a tremendous amount of great content like use cases and stories uh, that, that we leverage and capitalize on. But even things like finance and accounting, working closely you know, with them uh, to support the budget we have, the spend that we do. You know, Without that, that interaction, that functional dependency, I wouldn't be successful. So it, it, it's very much in my DNA to work with my colleagues, my peers, uh, towards the, the goals that the company has set for whatever period for that year, you know, for a longer time. I love how you outline that. And, and I, I think any solid CMO should think that way and grow to, to appreciate that. But I truly believe that coming from that CEO background that you've had, that president background at Aberdeen Group, I mean, that no doubt allows you to jump in and realize that even more so. I want to shift over to an, another area of being a CMO at a company like Spark Cognition. Bef before I do, maybe you can just give everyone a very high level of what Spark Cognition's solution is for the market. Yeah. Uh, so we are focused on delivering uh, AI solutions that really allow customers to predict future outcomes uh, prescribe next next best actions and ensure worker safety. Quite simply, we use the data that an organization has to be very much forward looking. When when will a machine fail? You know, what do we do when it fails? How do we how do we prevent catastrophic uh, loss? Uh, and we've seen these things. You know, we work offshore in oil platforms, and many of us have seen the movie Deepwater Horizon. How do you prevent? that type of catastrophic issue from occurring. 
that's at the heart of what we do. Now, what's a little bit different is that we are entirely focused in the business to business world. And as a marketer, you know, there is, there's a fundamental difference between a B2C and a B2B mentality. We have the incremental challenge as well is that we're, we're deeply seated in, in the technology. So artificial intelligence, uh, as you've referenced earlier, is something that's been around for a while. It's, it's, it's probably a term that's misunderstood uh, by most. And so a big part of, of what I do from a marketing point of view within Spark Cognition is education. What is technology? What isn't the technology? Uh, there's a lot of dystopian views that are influenced by the movies. Right. Um, and so, you know, breaking out of that mold and helping people truly see the benefit, the, the ability to augment the, the human in the loop, uh, to make them better at what they do. And, and we've seen that recently uh, with uh, ChatGPT. Uh, again, um, a technology that will be transformative in terms of how each of us does our job. It's a it's a great modern example and some great illustrations of of what you have to navigate. And and I think that's the interesting thing. You you call out some of the solutions and some of the problems we've seen in the world that Spark Cognition can be there just to help you know avoid some of these disasters, as you said. And I think there's a big distinction there between solving for mom and pop shops that are around the corner from us where no disrespect, but probably any CMO coming in who is strong, who understood marketing could relate to the challenges of our neighborhood businesses. What degree of understanding of the world has been required for you to be an expert at your job as CMO? Because I don't think that this is as simple as let me understand the product. You have to understand almost the the landscape of what's going on in our world. Well, you, you do, and and obviously events of late have have really changed uh, that that perspective. So let me frame it in the sense that we're working with large customers. These are customers in transportation, like a Boeing or an Airbus. These are customers uh, in oil and gas, like a BP, Chevron, a, a, an Aramco. Uh, these are customers in manufacturing, uh, like a, a Heineken or a Mondelez. And I and I say that because these companies you know, live within the world that's constantly being challenged. There are geopolitical issues today. Um, there are health-related, pandemic-related issues today. There are economic trends, inflationary pressures, recessionary pressures. And our customers ultimately have to be able to address and overcome those very issues if they're going to be success, successful in their, their market. So, you know, by proxy, I too have to be sensitized um, to those market conditions, to the spend, you know, we're entering a period where, you know, it's much more important that we emphasize the painkiller part of the product and not the interesting elixir part of the product, right? This is a market of essentials. I've got to have not the nice to haves. And that's not always the case. I, I would, I would argue for 10 years, it was an incredible ride where the fascination with technology was sufficient to carry the product forward. That's no longer the case. Stephen, I think that was really well put and, and a great transition to our second segment here. We're going to take a break and then we'll talk about some of the ways that you're solving for that pain and going to market with that type of messaging right here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. You can tell that Steven brings a very holistic view to the CMO role, one that's no doubt grounded in being a CEO. And as we talked about being able to understand the forces going on around the world. And I think that's the maturity that many of us have to get to is to realize that being a CMO is not simply being the best marketer. It's the ability to understand what is going to make your company relevant to your market. And to do that, we have to understand how to work with a sales leader. We have to understand how to work with a finance leader. But we also have to understand what's going on in the world and how we can be relatable. That's more than marketing. That is the focus on relevance. Steven, before we took a break, we were chatting about some real life examples that your company helps navigate. And, you know, one of them that I can relate to, my kid watched Deepwater Horizon. So, you know, we did that to better understand what was going on back in the BP oil spill. Now, when you're doing your top of funnel marketing, when you're trying to bring someone in, is a story like your ability to solve for that space? one that any industry you go after can relate to? Or do you segment some of these stories depending on who you're trying to attract? Uh, we segment the stories because the 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 problem that the underlying problem that's trying to be solved and the value associated with the problem are just fundamentally different. You mentioned, you know, a an offshore oil rig and a, a catastrophic event occurring. In that case, that the real problem is how do we predict and prevent things from happening in the future? The value obviously is inherently, you know, preventing uh, that that event, that catastrophic event, from occurring. When I when I move over though to a different industry uh, and look at manufacturing and safety, uh, the value proposition is around ensuring that the individual worker goes home uh, every single night, uh, you know, safe. And so the, the problem is fundamentally different. The value associated is fundamentally different. Uh, some could argue it's an order of magnitude, but how it relates to the buyer is, is very different. So the messaging that we develop, um, the way in which we actually deliver it will be different. So if I were to go to Spark Cognition's website, which anyone can do, uh, even if they're listening here on Spotify, just you know, tab over, don't, don't hit pause. You can see that there's probably eight or so different industries that you seem to focus on. Now, what I'm curious about is how do you manage all these different stories, all these different messages? And at the same time, I mean, people may know that you've been valued at over a billion dollars, but you're a relatively lean team. I mean, 25 marketers isn't small, but if I were to even divide with all the other functions, marketing ops, content, social, 
How many people are dividing and conquering at each of these industries? So to the, the first part of the question, I think we look for uh, common threads that we can pull through all of the industries. And so it's probably a 60-40 split. And the 60% are things that we can do and invest that are common to all industries. So for example, simply helping a buyer understand the fundamentals of what AI is and what AI isn't is really important. Uh, and it's important because no one's going to spend uh, what is a considerable amount of money on something that they're completely confused. So that's something we, we invest in and we propagate across all of the verticals. We then try to segregate and say, you know, within an, in a vertical, uh, understanding the buyer it themselves and the problem is really fundamental, meaning that when we go to that buyer, unfortunately, no one says, sell me AI, right? <laughs> they all express their interest in the form of their business and a problem being solved. Uh, and so we do a lot on that 40% to associate uh, and communicate uh, what's interesting to that buyer in, in their industry, in their function, in that moment. And you're correct. I mean, we have a lean team. Um, but the nice part about, about the journey we've been on is, you know, much of what we do today is digital. Um, it's far more efficient. You can move much faster. You know, we've gotten much smarter about, you know, how we both produce and syndicate content. We really have looked to the things that that work and provide return on investments, and we do more of those. So, uh, certainly over the, you know, I'll say the last eighteen months, as people have have been cooped up with COVID or two years, you know, webinars were very effective. Uh, you know, people were looking for an outlet; they were looking for that that physical or at least that digital engagement. You know, and so we also tried to maximize our our limited resources in a way that proved to be most effective. Uh, for our buyers. It's really interesting. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned there, which was this idea that no one comes to you and says, sell me AI. And, and I think regardless of who's listening to this podcast, we can relate to that. Often we're solving for a very buzzwordy or a new technology type of trend, but people don't understand it. So I'm curious in your case, how do you distill down what AI is to a way in which it's relatable to your buyer? Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting challenge because AI is a technology that's been around since 1956. So depending on when you were first exposed to technology, you probably have a, a very strong point of view of what it is. And the first thing we have to do is 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 fundamentally, you know, kind of break that down and apart and and build it back up in a way that approximate what it is today. And so I'm often asked, so what is it? And, you know, AI is really the ability for technology to mimic uh, the human. So when you think about how we, we think and process in AI vernacular, we would call that machine learning or a subset of machine learning called deep learning. When you think about the, the spoken word and how we interpret uh, what others say or what we read in a text uh, or a blog, that's natural language processing, another form of AI. Uh, when you, you think about what you see, and, and how you process an image or a scene that's developing. Uh, that's computer vision. That's another form of AI. And so I think once AI becomes relatable to the buyer, it's far easier to kind of advance their understanding of our solution. So we always start, you know, kind of with, with that, that simplicity, if you will. And then we back it up with illustration. So rather than tell you that the computer can 
can serve as a, a, a really good uh, proxy for what you see and how you process, we show it to them, right? We, we say, you know, here, here's a camera, you're seeing it, the computer's seeing it, but let's look at what the camera is actually, or the AI is actually able to do with that camera image. And so it can, it can understand an object, it can understand a scene, it can understand uh, the relationship uh, as the, the scenes develop and intent. You know, there's an aha moment for people when that happens and they find the technology far more relatable to their, their vocation. So if I run a plant and my plant has assets and I'm charred with, you know, productivity and putting products out the back, you know, the, out the door, I, I'm now starting to understand how this technology can help. It can look for process inefficiencies. It can look for safety uh, related issues. Um, it can inspect. One of the things that we do uh, is we inspect potato chips for one of our customers as they come off. Um, the possibilities are almost endless where you could point this technology. I find the the degree to which AI has matured and the opportunities and examples we can relate to is fascinating. I and the cool thing about your career being back at IBM and Watson, I remember being younger and the connection of what AI was, was can you win in chess, right? It was something relatable, just like you're saying today, how can we relate? And I think the opportunity perhaps today that's different back at IBM days is the application is so much greater and broader. So it was interesting to hear you talk about, you know, the differences between natural language processing versus machine learning. And I'm, I'm curious, is, is that more about, again, the language that you use under those buckets? Do your buyers understand those differences or do those have to be illustrated just the same in stories? I, I guess the question here is, what is stronger? Is it a story or is it a definition? It, it's definitely a story. And, and I'll give you a, a, a great example. When I'll say AI was, was resurrected uh, back in 2011. Um, it had taken a hiatus. Uh, you know, early on the compute power didn't exist, and then it wasn't cost effective when the compute power did exist, and then we didn't have the data. So we spent decades kind of moving the, the story along. And to your point, uh, when AI kind of came back into the fold, uh, we illustrated that on a game show called Jeopardy. If you recall, we had Watson play Jeopardy. And it became very relatable, right? It was a great story. It wasn't really about AI and business, but it was what are the possibilities of AI? And think about natural language, understanding Jeopardy, you know, that the, the answer and being able to pose the question is for us as humans, insti you know, instinctually easy for computers, conceptually hard. And so it really proves something. Uh, as we began to commercialize the AI technology, we found that, again, it wasn't really well relatable to, to, to the day-to-day -day activities of a person. And so uh, we created something called Chef Watson. And, and we had Watson literally, uh, we taught Watson because AI is taught, it's not programmed. Yeah, we taught it about ingredients and how ingredients come together to, to create palate cleansing, pleasing you know, type dishes. And, and we told a story, but then we related that. We said, you know, wow, if you can understand Chef Watson, if you're a doctor, you could probably understand that we could basically ingest all of the medical information, all the clinical trial data. We can make it very relatable to your situation, your patient situation. And, and through those stories and through those relatable activities, you, you teach people what, what the possibilities are. So I, 
personally love storytelling. I love that. Uh, all I'm sitting here thinking is how ChatGPT could probably destroy anyone on Jeopardy now. Uh, <laughs> This is a ton of fun, this conversation, Stephen. We're going to keep you around. One more quick break here on The Marketer's Journey. My favorite line from Stephen today was this sense that no one is going to raise their hand and say, sell me AI. And I think many of us can relate to that, whatever we might be selling. No one's always looking for the technical solution that you may be offering. At Uberflip, I've felt this for a long time. Not a lot of people raise their hand and say, I need a content experience platform. More so, they have challenges, they have problems that they need to solve for. And your responsibility is to make your solution relatable. Again, at Uberflip, content experience can help fuel an account-based marketing strategy. It can help fuel how you engage through your sales force. That idea with AI and Steven is very much, how do I tell a story or how do I find a hook where we'll understand how this technology will help make our go-to-market better? Take this mindset and take it to your offering. Don't always try and sell the big buzzword, the big category, but make it relatable through stories and connections that are actual problems for your buyers. Stephen, been a pleasure talking through your journey, and now I want to get some learnings from you in a rapid fire type of section here. My first question for you is thinking about the next marketing leader. Now, you've been in the CEO seat, you've been in the presidency, GM, CMO. What is it that you think makes for the best marketing leader? I think in the word passion, Uh, you've got to be passionate about what you do. You got to be passionate about who you do it for. Uh, and I think you have to have a, a underlying passion for marketing and marketing in the broadest context, uh, demand generation, communication, uh, analyst relation, however you characterize it, you, you need to, to little be immersed in that area. That's a great answer. And I, I think the other thing that's clear with you is, is a passion for what you're solving. AI has been a, a thread throughout your entire career and having that connection to something makes coming to work even more fun because of your belief in it. My, my next question for you is on content. And we hit a little bit on content in terms of having to segment for different industries and tell these stories that ultimately bring things to life. But when you're marketed to, when someone's sending you an email or they're showing an ad to you, what is it that gets you to click today? It, it needs to be relatable and relatable to me in the business context, because I'm, I'm a B2B marketer. So you've got to hit home really quickly what value you bring. I'm less interested in who you are and what you do, and I'm far more interested in how you could help me achieve my objectives. Those, those that market to things that ultimately underpin my success are going to get my attention. Really well put. So let's let's weave that to, there's typically a question I ask here. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, just given your specialty and expertise. It's usually around the idea of personalization, but I'm going to broaden it to AI because we've spoken so much about AI. What is your expectation for what AI can do when it comes to content and solving that problem as you outlined? So if you look at obviously the the 
uh, events of late, when you look at chat GPT, when you look at large language models, AI, I think is going to become a marketer's best friend. Imagine uh, asking the AI to generate uh, an email to a CEO about your offering. Uh, or imagine asking the AI to generate a presentation, you know, to a particular company uh, on the topic of AI and safety. So we're, we're seeing generative models, something that we've we've been using for years now, uh, really kind of come to the forefront. And I think it's it's going to redefine the marketer's role. If you're in communications, for sure, it's impact. If you're in demand generation. Uh, on your inbound activity, it, it's going to be changed. And so AI is no longer just what will it do for your customers? I, I think, you know, for Spark Cognition is what will it do for us? That's really well put. I, I think the concept of right person, right time, right place, right content is only going to go to the next level uh, with the type of technologies that we see today and, and those that are around the corner. Uh, Stephen, this has been a great chat. I have one last question for you, which is maybe the toughest always, and that is, how do you balance this all? How do you balance, you know, working with amazing brands like Airbus and Boeing and Chevron, and then finding time for whatever your passion is outside of AI? You know, so much of my day to day is is you know really on the mental side. It, it's intensive. It's it's thinking and. For me, the, the release is really more of the physical side. And so I kind of blend my hobby, uh, which is woodworking, which, you know, I, I find to be a great release. It's, it's stress-free. It's a, it's a whole different set of muscle memories. And then I also, you know, I travel quite a bit. So I, I spend a lot of time in the gym uh, to kind of counteract, you know, the stress of my day and, and to find that balance. Great. I, I, I'd love to see. Maybe we'll get a picture for the post of something that you've made in your woodworking hours. We'll we'll try and work that in. But you know, for now, a big thank you to you, Stephen, for joining us. For everyone who's tuned in here, I can't thank you enough. I hope you realize Stephen's journey is unique, just as yours is unique. One day, hopefully, you'll be on to share your journey here on the Marketer's Journey Podcast. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.